Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm a feminist, but today at yoga... I overheard a woman in the shoe area (laughs) saying, well, men like to clean this way, but women like to scrub. That's the difference between men and women, how they clean. And I wanted to say, excuse me, I don't want to be rude, but these binary ways that we talk about men and women do invite a certain culture that says that somehow men are always like this and women are always like this. And at best, you can have noted a cleaning trend. You can have noted a gender trend, and I don't want to undermine that. But saying men do this and women do that, it's actually not that helpful. But what I wanted to say even more was, how do men like to clean? Because I missed that part. I heard the women's scrubbing section. How do men like to clean? Because as far as I can make out, not at all. But what I did say was nothing. I'll get involved in this lady's life. I don't know. She doesn't need me tapping her on the shoulder and telling her about do not buy. But it is an, it's annoying. That would have been really fun, though, if you had just gone up and been like, excuse me, I don't think you should have uh, prescribed uh, cleaning to a gender binary. Namaste. And then just walk <laughs> away. Just like, and then like the little bells, you know, the, whatever, whatever, the, the oh, meditation gong yeah, goes off all, and then you just evaporate. All that bowl. 
Yeah. Where you go, yeah. the sound bath bowl. If I'd just yeah. done that, that could have been my interruption. <laughs> Maybe I could have done a chant, a chant oh, about the binary. There we go. That would, yeah, I, yeah, I must not do that because I feel it's going to be deeply culturally insensitive. Yeah, I don't think we should try no, that right now. Don't do that. I'm a feminist, but the last time I was on the Guilty Feminist podcast, I uh, tweeted about it. I put it on my Instagram. I shared it on Facebook. And uh, my mother called me and said, uh, congratulations, I've listened to the podcast. It's very good. You're very funny. Deborah's a lovely person. I just need you to know that you spelled feminist wrong in every single one of your posts. Oh. Every single one. No. Abigail Shaman. Turns out, turns out. You don't spell feminist, feminist. I, you think I know. You put a man into feminist? Yeah. Stop it right now. It's very on brand for me. Uh, I can't spell it the best of times. I remember in the second grade, we were allowed to pick five words to be on our own spelling test that were special to us that we needed to learn how to spell. So I had to put my own name on my spelling test. Oh. In the second grade. I was like nine. And I still was like, mm, no, nope, You were nine yet. in the second grade? I think so. Aren't you nine in no, the second you're grade? No, six. Are you six? Yeah. Oh. I think I'm nine in everything. <laughs> when in doubt, I'm always like, when I was nine. No. You it's were a good not, number. You were not nine. I'm a feminist. But if I had to give up feminism or yoga for one week, it would depend where my head was. Some weeks I really need yoga. I get it. I'm the same way. I mean, it's only a week. I wouldn't actively anti-feminist, but if I had to rest either... Namaste. I get it. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but whenever I wear a uh, crop top on stage to show uh, my stomach and a uh, fellow curvy woman comes up to me after the show and touches me lightly on the elbow and goes, I love your body positivity. I want to punch her. Uh, (laughs) That is the exact same thing as a guy coming up to me going, your tits look good in that top. It is not to be discussed. It is only to be enjoyed in silence. Yeah, I agree because on the live tour, I had this big green sequin cape. And one night, I happened to be walking past Dan Summers and they had the same green sequins in a false police swimsuit. So I thought it'd be really funny if I had that on under, then with trousers over the top. Like, yeah. So I had a swimsuit. It was like a bodysuit type thing, green sequins. And I thought it was like funny and kind of cabaret, but sort of looked good. And then afterwards, one of the other acts messaged me and said, I just want to say that my friend was in the audience tonight and you really inspired her to buy a swimsuit because she didn't want to buy a swimsuit for holidays and you were such an inspiration to her. She thought, if Deborah can do it. I was like, what the fuck? I looked awesome in the swimsuit. Yeah. What? I don't want to be a fucking swimsuit yeah. inspiration. Yeah. I want people to look at me and think, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't get away with it. No. Look at me in the swimsuit, go, I would never be able to pull that off. Yeah. Don't find inspiration in my, no. Yeah. I won't have it. What does that mean? Yeah. I've 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 not been able to let it go. I've not been able to let it go. I'm a feminist, but I saw a cat dressed in a tutu so that it looked like it had arms coming out of its sides. It was like a front-only situation, like a bib. But it looks at the front like the cat is wearing a pink tutu with point shoes. And my first thought was, where can I get one of those for toast? My cat. 
It's not a feminist outfit. Not that ballet isn't feminist, but to dress your cat in... I guess it... Well, we have to question the agency of the cat at this point. Yeah. Does the cat want to be in sequence? Toast would not. Toast okay. would not. I'm a feminist, but I think Top Gear and the Grand Tour are the best television I've ever seen. What? I genuinely think Jeremy Clarkson, Hammond, and May make the best television. Are you joking? Uh, no, I'm not. Thank you. Thank you. I thought I would be really alone in that. Like, so much so... Okay. I'm a feminist, but if someone was like, would you like to sit down and re-watch Fleabag or The Grand Tour, what? I would watch The Grand Tour. I love it. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm not saying <laughs> it's turned. better. I'm not they saying turned. it's better. I'm not saying it's better than Fleabag because they are completely different, different things. things. But I am saying, as far as entertainment, easily consumable television. Mmm, Grand Tour, it's like Doritos. I just can't get enough. Live from the Underbelly Festival on London South Bank, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host, Abakalaya Shimon, and our very special guest, Nell Gifford, talking about lemonade. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Abigail Shimon, and we're talking about lemonade! <laughs> we're talking about lemonade, yeah. as in when life gives you lemons. Make lemonade. Yeah, the Beyonce album of the same name. And I think that applies to uh, women a lot. It applies to feminists a lot. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about Brexit being such a thing. If life gives you lemons, you know, we might have to make some lemonade. And then I thought, who am I kidding? As if we're going to have access to fresh citrus. Um, <laughs> we're not going to have anything. I read something today where they, Sainsbury said that there's going to be like gaps on the shelves. They're just not going to be able to get stuff in in, in the yeah. event of a no-deal Brexit. What? I was just thinking, when, when it comes to Brexit, when life gives you lemons, you're like, yay, we have lemons! Yes, That's absolutely. what it will turn into. Exactly. I can't wait. Uh, when life gives you lemons, at least you won't have scurvy, um, <laughs> is very much the Brexit no-deal slogan. Hope Boris puts it on a bus. <laughs> He's going to do a campaign to say, hey, we got through the Blitz. That's basically what it's going to be. But I just always think when I hear that, because people do say, we got through the Blitz, the Blitz spirit, I was thinking, yeah, but we didn't vote for the Blitz. And if we had accidentally voted for the Blitz, we would have had a second referendum and said, we didn't mean it. No Blitz, please. That's all I'm saying. You don't vote for a Blitz. I think that should be the new Brexit hashtag, is hashtag no Blitz. Yeah, absolutely. So my story in terms of lemons and lemonade, I think my whole career is actually lemonade that I've made with the lemons of rejection. Um, I've talked before about, in comedy, you know, the landscape for women up until the last couple of years was, ter like, genuinely terrible. That didn't mean no individual women had careers. Clearly, some did. But the overall landscape and the opportunities for women in the mainstream was dire. And I've talked before on the show about emails I receive specifically rejecting me on the basis of gender, saying, I won't come and see you on the basis of gender, very, very specific. But there's a story I have never told before, which is about a comedy festival I did in 2014. 
I'd been asked if I wanted to do this improvisation show that they were doing each night. So I went along to see it. And it was a good show in some ways, but there were only men on the stage that night that I saw it. And one thing they were doing was getting young women out of the audience. They were meant to be getting people out of the audience, but they kept getting young women out of the audience. And they were playing status games with them in a way. It was part of the format that made me feel a bit uncomfortable because most of the men were in their 40s and the women were often students and they didn't have a lot of recourse. And I was like, oh, they really need women on stage to temper this. The format's good and there's a lot of strong comedy, but it didn't feel that great to me. So I went backstage afterwards just to say hi to everyone and say, well done. And one of the guys in the show said to me, oh, are you coming to do our show? I hear you're coming to do our show. And I said, I'd love to. You need more women. But I said in a really nice voice. Like I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And you need more women. I said it like that. And the producer who was standing behind me said, what do you mean we need more women? We don't need more women. We've got so-and-so doing it tomorrow night. So-and-so came and did it last night. But this was a format that at that time, there were one, two, three, four, five, six people over the evening. And the night I was there, all six were men. And what she was saying was, there's a woman tomorrow night and there was a woman last night, but this is out of six. That's right, the producer was a woman all along. So I said, oh, I'm just saying, you know, there's a smaller pool of women and I run an improvisation show as well, which I did at the same festival. And I said, we're all looking for more women, aren't we? And she got so angry. She said, I don't know why you think you have to have a woman in every show. You don't. And I said, I'm just saying it's nice, isn't it? It's nice for representation for the women in the audience. And also, you know, and I was like, because it was 2014, like now I would just be like, what are you talking about? You should have women in your show. But then the landscape was so different. I started apologizing. I'm ashamed. This is an I'm a feminist, but I'm a feminist, but I started apologizing and going, oh, no, I wasn't really saying that. I was just saying we're all looking for more women, aren't we? And she got so angry and she just turned her back on me. And I was like, oh, God, I've really offended her. But in my mind, I was going, but don't we want more women on the stage? Don't you need more women? And so the next day, backstage, a different backstage, I bumped into that guy again. And he said, yeah, she really didn't take that well. And I said, I do think it's better if there are women on the stage, especially if you're engaging with the audience in the way that you are. I don't think it's that controversial to say we need more women in improvisation. And the guy who was standing near him, I didn't realize was the director of the show. And he turned around and he went, are you saying we have to have a woman in every single show? Is that what you're saying? You're saying we need a woman on every bill. And I went, well, it's nice to. And then he just went, ugh. And he stormed off. And it was just before this guy's show. And I didn't realize he was directing both shows. And I was like, oh my God, I'm upset for a show. So I went to find him. And again, now I feel really bad that I apologize. But I went, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to upset you before your show. He went, whatever. And then afterwards, I would go into the performer's bar and none of those people would talk to me. Like, even my friends who were like, you've kind of upset them. And I was like, but I've said sorry. All I said was, it's nice to have more women. And I said it in a nice voice and I've apologized. I don't know what else I can do. And you apologize for doing nothing wrong. I apologize for doing nothing wrong. But I didn't ever get booked to do that show. And none of that gang, there was one guy who would still talk to me, but was like, do you want me to have a word with them? And I was like, no, no, no. But the rest of them would just turn their backs when I walked in, like literally shunned Uh. me. And at the end of that festival, I remember crying and just saying, I'm out of comedy. That's it. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be here because comedy doesn't want me. I'm going to have to go somewhere that wants me because this is awful. 
I talked to a few people about it and said, I think I'm out. Like, this is the last in a long line of experiences. Even other comedians are going to turn their backs on me for saying this. Sorry, and this was in 2014? This is 2014. Okay, this is 2014. And a few people said, just give it one more year. Just give it one more year. Please don't go. Please don't go give it one more year. And the next year, I started The Guilty Feminist. <laughs> so, End of 2015. Um, now, that was after some super bad experiences in 2015 as well, where I kind of got so rock bottom that I went, it's this or bust. But do you know what? Do you know what I think was great about it is had comedy been a place where had I compromised enough, they would have let me in. I would have spent the rest of my life compromising and I would have had a compromised career. And I would have been like, if I do this, I can't fit. And they let me play and I've, I'm booking jobs and I'm allowed to do some TV and... I can make myself into this shape and I would have spent the rest of my career kind of in this shape, you know, like, but as there was no compromised position for me there, it was just like, we don't want you. And if you're going to say one thing about gender, we will literally shun you in the bar. I had to just go home and go, if I want to stay, I am going to have to imagine a new world. And I just lay down and thought, what's feminist comedy Disneyland look like? What would comedy look like if it looked like a place I wanted to be? instead of me trying to fit my square peg into their round hole. That now sounds <laughs> sexual. Um, I didn't mean it to, but do you see what I mean? Yeah. So I just went, okay, what would it look like if it looked like the thing I wanted to play in? Because I reckon there must be other people who feel like this. And so I think the whole of the guilty feminist is just a jug of lemonade of me going, there is nothing for me here, so I have to build this from scratch. I just love that your rock bottom, you got to it and you contemplated leaving, but then you went, no, I'll just have a revolution. That's easier than leaving. That's freaking awesome, man. But I didn't... That's well, I, beautiful. I didn't, I didn't know when I started it. It was We started it in a... Sophie Hagen and I started it in a basement theater. There were 30 people in the audience, 20 of whom I could identify by name. Um, I knew 20 names of the audience and 10 were their maids that they'd brought along. It was more that I'd given up and gone, look, I'll just create the space I want to be in. And if some people want to come to that, that's great. But honestly, I think if there were still 30 to 50 people regularly coming, I'd probably still be doing it. Yeah. I'd still be like, well, these people want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you just need to make these. And you never know. You never know if in your time. I remember Ben Elton saying that what he wanted to say the most about Margaret Thatcher, it just so happened he was very lucky that the zeitgeist wanted to hear that. And he said, if people hadn't wanted to hear what I wanted to say, I would have ended up in community theatre. I definitely would have written. He said, there are so many talented people, but what they have to say is not what the world wants to hear right now. Do you know what I mean by that? You just have to keep saying your truth until it hits the zeitgeist. And it may never hit the zeitgeist in your lifetime. But I reckon now with podcasting, you can find a small audience who want to hear what you have to say. And if that audience gets bigger, great. But if it doesn't, what does that matter? If you are truly communicating your truth to a small amount of people, to be fair, if you're podcasting and you're regularly getting 20 listeners, that's more than most people, you know, 500 years ago had in their village. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're regularly communicating your truth to those people and they're writing you little messages. What's wrong with that? I don't know. I'm still at a place at my career of when I sell 20 tickets on my own name, I'm like, I'm so successful. <laughs> I did it. Mom, I'm going to be okay. I don't have to go back to the Midwest. 
That is not true. You are regularly touring and doing... Your well, thing. I regular, But on my own name, the tickets are much smaller. Like, this is Guilty Feminist, so there's a lot of people here, and thank you for being here, and it's awesome, and I love being a part of this. But when uh, uh, we're selling the Abigail Mon show, ooh, it's a tricky sell. Okay. Maybe it's because no one say, to... If I booked any man to be in this seat, which I wouldn't, but if I did, if I did, they would never say, by the way... You wouldn't come and see me unless we were here. They would not. No, that's not. I didn't mean it to come off like that, guys. Uh, I did, okay, I'm going to sell okay. yourself like a male stand-up comedian who's been going half the time and is half as good as you. Okay. <laughs> All right, hold on. Let me get into character. Uh, Deborah, I, I, I heard uh, uh, you, you, you like sold out the Spiegel tent and then you also did uh, Royal Albert Hall. That's pretty cool. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I was going to, but then I thought, ah, it's too much work. But uh, I could probably do it for three or four nights, sold out, no problem. That is true. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah briefly interrupting your podcast listening to say thank you so much to our incredible audiences in Manchester and Dublin this last week who absolutely brought a rock concert to a podcast recording. I wanted to let you know that I just saw Hannah Gadsby's show, Douglas. It is an absolute smashing sequel to Nanette. You have to see it. And it is also coming to Dublin on the 17th of November. It's going to be at the Board Gush Theatre in Dublin. And you can get tickets now at boardgushenergytheatre.ie. Don't miss it. It will sell out. Other places Hannah Gadsby's coming to include Manchester, Glasgow, Brighton, Australia, all over it, and New Zealand, pretty much everywhere. Go to hannahgadsby.com.au and get tickets ASAP. It really is an incredible show. I am doing a show with Emma Thompson, Greg Wise, Callum Moran, Bill Bailey, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones, Steve Alley, and more. It's going to be an incredible evening. It's in celebration of the book Last Christmas. All the proceeds from the book are going to the Refugee Council and Crisis and half the proceeds of the show. We're going to be talking about people's Christmases. It's going to be warm. It's going to be cosy. It's going to be lovely. Emma, Greg and Amelia just made a film called Last Christmas. It's just going to be a lovely, lovely, cosy, warm, gorgeous celebration. And uh, Steve and I are both reading out our stories. Please, please come along. You are going to have a gorgeous time. If you are in Manchester, thank you for receiving us so well with The Guilty Feminist, but we are going to be back on the 3rd of December. That's how much we love Manchester. With The Secret Policeman's Tour, the amazing comedy brand we have revived with Amnesty International. We will be at the Palace Theatre, 3rd of December, with Nish Kumar, Bridget Christie, Juliet Stevenson, Susie Ruffle, Shappy Kosandi, and many more for a glorious and riotous night for human rights. All the proceeds go to Amnesty and we'll be talking about it on the night as well as doing a remarkable amount of incredible comedy. Everything from reviving old Monty Python sketches with a brand new twist to people's exceptional comedy sets. You won't want to miss it. I'm hosting it. On the 6th of December, Friday, 6.30pm in London at Gower Street Waterstones, there's an evening with Deborah Francis White. That's me. Tickets are £15 and they include a copy of the Guilty Feminist book with a snazzy, sexy, new cover, never before seen. Uh, 
and a glass of wine. Now, if you have the book already, please come along anyway, because it makes a great Christmas present and I will sign it for your friend. So please, please, please come along for that. Now, many of you tried to get tickets for me and Phoebe Waller-Bridge in conversation at the Royal Festival Hall in December. Now, I know there was a massive demand and lots of people missed out. So Waterstones are doing a prize draw. You could still be in the running. Follow them on Twitter and get involved. And if you can't come to the live event, the Fleabag scriptures are available on pre-order now and they are going to be absolutely delicious. Now, if you live in the United States of America or Canada, we are coming at you. The Guilty Feminist podcast is coming. We're going to be in Boston on the 2nd. We're going to be in New York City on the 4th and the 5th. We're also coming to Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, and maybe more. Maybe I've left some out. Go to the website and see. We're also coming to Australia. We're coming to Sydney. We're coming to Melbourne, Brisbane, the Gold Coast, where we've never been before, Auckland, Wellington, and Christchurch. We've never been to Wellington or Christchurch before. And we're doing that between the 7th and the 22nd of February. To find out the exact dates and book, go to guiltyfeminist.com and you can see precisely where and when we're coming in America, Canada, Australia and New Zealand. It's a massive global tour for us. So please, please, please get your tickets now and don't miss out. We can't wait to come. And finally, the Choose Love Help Refugees shop is opening in uh, is opening in the West End. I will be there along with some other comedians that you know and love on Friday the 29th at 8am and I will put the address on our website. It'll also be on the Help Refugees website soon. But if you are someone who could get to the West End on the 29th of November at 8am and you could come for the opening, that would be really something you could do for Help Refugees and Choose Love. Because if there's a big queue there and there's lots of comedians there, the press will come out. So you would be doing so, so much for the cause. I've just been out in the camp in Lesbos, and if you were there, you would want to do anything you could to help. I'm going to tell you more about that on upcoming podcasts. But for now, if there's any possibility of you putting 29th of November in the diary, 8am, to come along and be there for that initial Choose Love opening, it's going to be a really wonderful celebration. It's going to be so much fun and we'd just absolutely love to have you there and meet you in person okay back to the podcast one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Amagalash Shimon! Oh my god. Oh, thank you guys so much. This has been really great. And honestly, to talk about how much I like the Grand Tour, it really means a lot that you've heard it. And I can't wait for the angry tweets to come through uh, when this goes out on record. But uh, yes, making lemons out of lemonade. The way I do it is I just take awkward moments that I talk about them on stage. And, and when people laugh, I'm like, yay. Uh, now it's not embarrassing anymore. Uh, for instance, I recently got a wax. Uh, and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Fun fact, I went and I got a wax on International Women's Day. Uh, I did. And as I was walking there, I was like, I don't know if this is the day for this. I don't know if I should be doing this. And I went in and I got the wax. And then, like, I don't really talk to the beautician too much. Like, I'm not a real gabber because I'm trying not to cry. And... Uh, and at the end of it, she just looks at me and she goes, is this a special day for you? And I was like, I was like, what, International Women's Day? Yeah. And she goes, it's a special day for me, too. And I was like, oh, I did the right thing. Uh, but it's a weird thing we're doing to ourselves, ladies. It's not good, it's not bad, but it is weird. Because every time you go into the beautician, they're always trying to upsell you, you know? You never go in the first day being like, take it all off. I want it to look like a raw chicken. Like, that's not what you say you're not like it make it look like a baby rat bald possibly disease can you do that <laughs> and, and men in the audience i don't want to discount you because it is 2019 i know you guys are escaping as well but men you do it differently yeah because whereas women we go to professional and we pay to have that done you diy that shit <laughs> you know you go to boots you buy yourself a bottle of veet and you give yourself chemical burns all over your body <clears throat> nothing making love to a man who looks like a freshly peeled grapefruit. <laughs> yes, please. But it is a weird thing we're doing. And I lived in New York for 10 years, went to the same woman every time for wax, and she never remembered my face, which is hurtful because I feel like we had been through something. <laughs> and one time I went in, and I could tell she didn't recognize me, and she goes, well, take off your trousers and lay on the table, and I did. And she looked at my vagina and just goes, oh, I remember you. <laughs> And to be fair, I know why. Like, I do, because I started to get waxed when I was 20, or 9. And uh, <laughs> I started to get waxed when I was 20, and I'm 33 now. What? Abigail, you look older. Thank you. It's the booze. And <laughs> so, that applause hurt. Uh, <laughs> somewhere within these 13 years, I have started to go bald on the middle of my vagina. Like, I realized... We just met, but this is visual. I need you to picture it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna show you. It's not a show, but I need you to pick. It is a pound-sized patch of baldness in the middle of my vulva. So if you look down from above, it looks like the top of a pious monk's head. It's actually, it's given me a whole new outlook on men who shave their heads who are going bald. You know, because I always used to make fun of them, and now I just look at them and I'm like, respect, brother. 
same tribe, different reservation. time you go in they're always trying to upsell you always trying to get you take off a little more do a little more and one time I went in and uh, she took off the front as usual and she was like oh would you like me to do the back side and I was like oh that's silly and she's like but then you'll have a matching set and I was like good point she goes okay roll over and assume the position and if you don't know what the position is for getting your butthole waxed what it is is you lie on your stomach and you spread your own butt cheeks for them to wax you. So you get to participate. It's a team effort. It's quite a vulnerable position to be in with someone who never remembers your face. And the reason why I'm explaining it in such graphic detail is because a lot of women get this done on a regular basis. And maybe some of you don't get it done or are dating someone who gets it done and you have no clue what's going on, that is the procedure. So whenever they get home from that, you get down on your knees and you kiss it. You show your appreciation because trauma has been had and love is needed. But I, I rolled over and I assumed the position and she took the hot wax. She put it on my butthole. I went to a very prestigious acting school in New York, so this is a very perfect act out. I have a very high butthole. A lot of people don't know that about me. <laughs> For those listening at home, I'm waxing way too high. <laughs> but she put the hot wax on my butthole, and then she went... <laughs> okay, some of you just looked at me like, yes, and... No, she blew on my butthole. Did you miss that? She blew on to my butthole. She went... <laughs> and I went... <laughs> she did it twice. She went... <laughs> and I went... <laughs> And she was like, she was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Is the wax too hot? Is the wax too hot? And I was like, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Because uh, I didn't know how to tell her that I just learned that my butthole's a sexual place. I didn't think I was attracted to 40-year-old corpulent Polish women, but fucking Olga was ringing my bell. I went to Australia to do comedy because my career is going better than you'd think. Uh, and, uh, and while I was there, I had to get a wax. And uh, the woman heard of my show, and she's like, oh, I'm totally going to come to that show. And I was like, I'd love you to come. And if you do, just so you know, I have this story about getting waxed. And I only bring it up because it's a weird thing that happened. I don't want you to think I made it up about you. And uh, she was like, well, what did happen? And I told her about that. And she just looks at me and goes, that's not normal. <laughs> Broke my heart because I've been waiting for years for that to happen again. <laughs> and that is how I made lemonade out of that lemons. For some more stand-up, you know her, you love her. It's the wonderful Deborah Francis White. So this isn't the stand-up I was going to do, but when I heard Abigailias, I thought, right, I'm going to make different lemonade out of the same lemons. That's right, my friends. That's right, it's going to be like a waxing bake-off. First time I ever had anything waxed was my legs. I was going on a holiday and I thought it'd be nice not to shave them. 
and I heard you had to grow them long. I grew them for so long. Like I was like six weeks. They were like, they were, I could plait them. And, uh, and I went and I was like, okay, wax them. And it hurt so much that I was screaming so loudly that they asked me, a lady came in, popped her head around and said, could you keep it down? You're frightening our other clients. <laughs> True story. That actually happened. I didn't go back then for ages. And then, you know, I don't know, something, I fell into a, a waxing situation. Um, I've discovered actually that the best time to get waxed is when you're drunk. <laughs> Much like having a tattoo. Because it takes the pain away. It's true. I only know this because once I had one of those office Christmas lunches and then was going away for Christmas. So after the office Christmas lunch, I went into a waxing parlor, absolutely smashed. Didn't hurt at all. And I was thinking, I might start up a chain of waxing cocktail bars called Hair of the Dog. That's right, my friends. That's right. I once had a fight with a waxer while she was down there because she, there was just wax everywhere. There was bits coming off in different... It looked, it looked like a war zone. It was just awful. And I, I started saying, this isn't normal. No, this is starting to hurt. There was blood. I was like, no, this isn't normal. But then she had to finish it after we'd had an argument. There is nothing worse than somebody in your vagina ripping bits of hot wax off your genitalia after you've had an argument with them if you're British. Because the awkwardness of that. And the thing is, it was only by going for a wax that I realised I was British. Because I was born and raised in Australia, but I've lived in Britain all my grown-up life. And so you never really know how Australian you are and how British you are. But this is the day that I found out I'm definitely British. Because I was in Australia and I popped in for a wax just to sort of tidy up. You know, that's all I ever had was just like a tidy up. And I said to the lady, would you just, she said, what do you want? You know, do you want a Brazilian? I said, oh, no, no, just, just tidy up. So, so anything outside the pants, I don't want that there. And she went, oh, yeah, you don't want koala ears. <laughs> I said, I do not. Uh, some people might like koala ears. There's nothing wrong with koala ears, but I did not want them. Uh, so I climbed up, and this lady was ripping wax off and doing her thing. And then she went, oh, it's not very straight on this side. I'm just going to take it and even it off. And then she went, oh, I've done a bit more on that side now. I'm just going to even it off on the other side. Oh, it looks a bit odd now because I'm going to have to take it all from underneath now, to be honest. So it's going to be much fuller down there than up there, and you don't want that. Oh, just tidy a bit more. Oh, actually, that's not straight now. I'll just do a bit more. I'll just do a bit more. I'll just do a bit more. Until eventually, this is true, she looked down and went, sorry, love, I'm going to have to charge you for the full Brazilian. (laughs) And I knew I was British because I paid and I tipped her. Which is a bit like paying someone to tidy your house, coming home, finding they've robbed the place blind, paying extra, because admittedly there is no clutter. There's, they've done a great job at the tidying, there's nothing left in your flat. That is my waxing lemonade! I know... The idea of starting a salon called Hair of the Dog is like a joke, but also moneymaker. Like, right. That is a real idea right there. I really think With that's right. With all your free time. 
Yeah, I think, you know, if anybody wanted to start a guilty feminist waxing salon with me called Hair of the Dog, I mean, get in touch, but yeah. only if you can fully fund it and do all the work. <laughs> I will be the face of it, yeah. by which I mean the koala ears of it. Um, I won't, I won't. Just to be clear, don't. Uh, all right, are we ready for our guest? <laughs> Our guest today is certainly somebody who has made an awful lot of lemonade out of an awful lot of lemons. Uh, she is the founder of Gifford Circus and is currently undergoing a life-prolonging treatment for a metastatic breast cancer. Please welcome to the stage the incredible Nell Gifford! Thank you so much. High five. Boom. High five. So, Nell... Tell us what made you want to create a circus because you do these spectacular, glorious circuses. Could you tell us what made you want to do this? Well, I joined a circus when I was 18 in America and basically my mum had just had a really bad accident and she was in hospital in a coma that she was never really going to come out of. And I went to join the circus when I was 18 and I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the people and the life and the touring and the tents and... I just decided then and there that that was going to be the rest of my life, was a circus, and it basically has been. So you ran away and joined the circus, basically? Basically, yes. Yeah, yeah. And your mum fell from a horse, so this is a really brave thing to do, because you use horses in your circus. Yeah, so our circus got horses in it, but I think it's sort of like a managed risk, and I love horses and the theatre of them, and... It doesn't feel like I'm sort of challenging fate by working with horses. I kind of can't link the horses in the show to the horse that my mum fell off somehow. And anyway, I've had so much disaster since then that there's more disasters to be reacting to, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I see that. But it's an incredible thing to go from running away to join the circus at 18 and thinking, right, this is going to be my life, to being somebody who creates the whole image of the circus and the look of it and the story of it. Basically, the circus is kind of... It's the thing that I would like to see by the side of the road. If I was driving along with my mum and dad, I'd be like, there's a tent with horses and caravans. And it's the thing that I would most like to see. And it's kind of like my own little world. And it's sort of like a living painting as well. It's like living in a painting. Yes, that's a really beautiful way of putting it. And to address, because I know that you have an incredible respect for your horses and an amazing working relationship with them, and you have also have a farm where you take in animals who need to be looked after. So I know you have an incredible relationship with your animals, but I just want to address it in case anyone's wondering about the animal rights situation. Okay, so yeah, we have horses and we have dogs and chickens, and sometimes we rehome animals. We went through this phase of working with dogs that was rehoming. So I had two like spotty horses and I wanted to have Dalmatians in the show. So I found some Dalmatians on the internet that were like adult dogs that had been bought as cute puppies and then they were just being kept in the backyard and people just wanted rid of them. They didn't name them. They didn't walk them. didn't love them. And they were just like, take them, 100 quid, yeah, fine. So we like took these dogs and trained them all summer in the circus we named them taught them their names trained them so that they didn't just run off which they did to start with because they've never been taken outside of a small backyard and then I found amazing homes like family homes for these dogs and I just thought this is amazing like the internet is full of hundreds and thousands of 
overgrown puppies that are just being chucked out. Like, how amazing that we can take them, train them in the circus, have, they have a year in the circus, and then we can rehome them because we have thousands of people coming to see the show. So we're connecting with families, so we're gonna, it's not going to be so hard for us to find them good homes. And I just felt like that is just so ethical and great and positive and what an amazing cause circus training like that's kind of using the skills that we've got of training animals but when I put it up on the internet like these dogs need to be rehomed I just had like this massive trolling people saying oh you should send those dogs to dogs homes like those dogs should be returned to dogs homes and then I just kind of realized what a kind of avalanche and a wall and a mountain and an ocean of prejudice towards the word circus and animals that I was up against. Mm. So I kind of just couldn't take all those people on. But, you know, I work with people that work with animals and they have to live, like, in their caravans right beside their animals so they can hear if they're upset in the night. They travel with them. They work with them. They give the animals, and, like, I'm talking particularly about horses, like, a kind of a purpose and a meaning and a working life. And there is nothing that I see in what, they do that's cruel and I just sometimes I just feel like I'm in this kind of prism of prejudice and so like well, you were so saying much... the way that 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 pets oh, thank you guys um you were saying the way that sometimes people like have their dog on a lead and they've castrated the dog and the dog's sort of running this way it doesn't really want to go where the person's going and that as soon as a dog's a pet we think it's fine right. but actually the way that many circus people interact with their dogs and they, they have to have like a professional a very close relationship with the dog so they have a greater understanding of how the dog feels than a regular pet owner might. Right, I think, I mean, but that's not to say like all circus dog owners are better than all non-circus dog owners. It's just such a kind of Oh, no, I mean, there's been enormous cruelty in some circuses. I mean, absolutely has. Sorry, can we just back up for a second? You said you had chickens. Uh, What type of act does a chicken do in a circus? (laughs) I, I genuinely have no idea. As, are they just on the farm, or do you have chickens in the circus? So we have chickens in the circus. Oh, this is exciting. And they... I mean, they don't have to do very much chicken. Uh, we had one chicken that just walked around the ring really slowly. I could do that. People love that. If you need someone to stand in for the chicken, if the chicken's having a bad day, I can walk in a okay. circle. Abigail and I are always looking for a gig and yeah. never failing to get one. So, yeah, I just wanted to address that because I know that you do have this very loving relationship with your animals. But you're somebody who's had a diagnosis of cancer and this has happened a number of times and you have kept on working and creating. How have you managed to do that? So I had breast cancer 2015, another breast cancer 2016. And then the next year, which was 17, I got diagnosed with uh, spread of breast cancer, the bone. And then... This year, it was spread of the cancer of the bone, uh, lymph, and um, liver. So I'm having chemo at the moment. But the thing is, I've had chemo. I've had so much chemo, so much radio, so much cancer. In a way, it's become a part of my life. So it's not like I'm never going to get better. I've got cancer forever, and I will die of cancer. So I'm not going to escape it. And, and it is pretty shit. Like, I'm not saying that's, oh, that's nothing. Oh, nothing. I've got terminal cancer, and I'm having chemotherapy. Yeah, it's really shit, and it's really for my children who've had to see me lose my hair three times and they've had to adjust themselves to that but if you have cancer then it's not like everything about cancer is bad like there's some actually good sides to getting cancer like what fun are the good sides? sides yeah go on 
Um, so for me, it's like I gave up. So I used to get, most of my life was basically hangover management before I got cancer. Mine is right now. I'm just going to take this off because I'm so hot. Yeah, no worries. Um, uh, yeah, that's overheating. That's kind of a bit of a cancer thing as well. That's not a great thing about cancer. But yeah, so I gave up drinking and this whole other part of myself just started to develop that had been hidden by hangover management. And so since I got cancer, I've started painting loads. I've rebuilt the circus. I got divorced. And, uh, and like, I really, like, I'm kind of, like, making light of it, but I'm making dark of it as well. And I've met amazing people, like, really amazing people. Like, my oncologist is one of the most out there, dedicated, like, kind of ferociously committed to his work, like... I'm always inviting him to circus, and he likes coming to circus, and he's been once this year, but usually when I call him, he's like, oh, I'm just on the Cromwell Road, I'm just seeing a patient. It's like Sunday morning. It's like, do you ever stop working? And he says, oh, I don't, you know, I don't have family, but I have my career, and it's about the patients. And he lives his whole life for his patients mm. and for advancing cancer diagnosis and treatment so that he can save lives. It's like it's so amazing. And I wouldn't have met you know, there's just... So there are good sides to cancer. And you've, you've not really, and, and this is not to say anyone, you know, some people do stop work, some people do change track, and that is completely valid, and you don't know how you might feel X months down the line, but you've kept on building and kept on creating. Has that been difficult, or has it been something you've wanted to do? When I saw the circus when I was 80, like my mum was at home in a coma, she just had this horrific accident, the whole family was falling apart, and the circus was kind of a thing that I could look at and project into the future. It's like, that's what I'm going to do. And I could kind of see the circus in the future and go towards it. And it still functions as that. So I'm not saying like the last four years have been really, really hard. And I had a massive breakdown that lasted six months and didn't actually think I was going to be able to live outside of care and like a proper protracted. Every time I tried to stand up, I hit the floor crying, pixelated eyes like shaking all over like God. unable to so I'm not saying it's been like oh I've got cancer let's just everything's fine we'll just carry on but it's in those really really rubbish 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 dark horrendous awful days it was like okay just get through till lunch get through till tea and it's just taking one day at a time but I think that the circus and just kind of projecting forward and continuing to try to put one step in front of another that's how I get through it. But I have a lot of people that help me and a lot of support and an amazing, you know, like amazing. The circus, if I go home, everyone's like, well, can you, why are you staying on the circus? It's so loud and noisy and like the lights go out and there's no water sometimes. And, you know, it's a very volatile environment. It rains like when it's windy, like at the moment, there's all the guys at home, like holding onto the tent to keep it blowing away. And it is a volatile environment, but I'd so much rather be there than like sitting at home. Anyway, lots of people are going to get cancer, you know. Yeah. So if you just go, if you become sedentary, like this is what I think. Like there's a guy in the circus who's got uh, one of the riding troupe, actually. He's like a young teenager. He's got Down syndrome. But he spent his whole life touring with the circus. And his brothers and his sisters are all gymnasts. So that's what he does all day is physical training, weights, gymnasts. This guy is amazing. Like he can backward somersault. 
he can do like a Diablo, you know, like a juggling kind of thing. And you think, actually, other Down syndrome kids that nobody is taking the time to give them physical training, then a lot of where you end up, if you don't do that, you know, your balance, coordination, his balance and coordination are great. And I kind of feel like that with my cancer. It's like, I could just kind of sit at home, but I would kind of make myself, I could make myself more ill in a way. Yeah, it's not just your identity. If you sat at home and was like, oh, I just have cancer, that's all you're thinking about is the cancer. Whereas you've gone and you've created this whole, like you've literally created a whole world. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, we were talking earlier, like living with it because it is like I twin track through the private and NHS sector for treatments. So I'm going to hospital like two or three times a week. But often I'll go in and there's like a wait, even in the private sector, there's wait for chemotherapy, wait for the drugs, like wait for these kind of weird plastic clear bags of chemicals. Like you literally, they're there and they go, oh, their chemo's not here yet. It's like the chemo hasn't arrived yet. It's arriving this afternoon, hopefully. And then sometimes it doesn't arrive and you just have to go home and it's going to arrive a day later. And it's like the whole system's really straining because there's so many people that need it. So there's a lot of people that have it and there are a lot of people that perhaps we know who have it and maybe we don't know that they have it because they haven't said anything. And there might be people you're working with who have it. But you've said things have sort of almost become more magical lately. That you've had, you know, I don't know if it's because you've had a prognosis or something, but backstage you were saying it's almost like more magical. You've become more hyper-aware. Is that something about life and death and suddenly understanding something about life and death? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe I don't have the, like, that much kind of self-awareness to know what it is, but I mean, I'm just completely intoxicated by life and by kind of the creative act. Like, I actually think it has a lot to do with giving up drinking. Like, the circus is an environment where you can really burn both ends of the candle. So is stand-up comedy. Yeah. Like, always somebody awake, always somebody having a drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like a part. Give us a cheer if you have a job where people drink too much. Give us a cheer if you're in an industry where you think it's easy to drink. Yeah. Give us a cheer if you're in an industry where it's not easy to drink. Oh, just one man. He's very happy about it. Uh, <laughs> that was an alert woo. <laughs> I'm so here. I have a question. When you're talking about how things have become more like intoxicating for you now, is there something that you maybe didn't consider too much or took advantage of before and now is like a precious now you look at it in a different light. Yeah, I mean, I completely and utterly think like that it is a good thing to have like the awareness of dying in your life every day because we are going to die. So I'd rather not spend like I get annoyed with sometimes with small talk. If you're like going to have a meeting about something exciting, but then everyone's kind of chatting about how they got there and whether the M4's got a traffic jam, and I'm just like, just just too boring. Like, yeah, come yeah. on, like let's get. Let's not just sit here and bore each other because we really haven't got that much time and we are going to die soon. So, But maybe that's kind of like the classic kind of terminal prognosis cliche. It's like, I really do not want to waste any time, not a moment. I don't. I bought myself a jacuzzi, a travelling jacuzzi, because I find it so hard to, oh, to stop. Oh, yes! <laughs> travelling jacuzzi? Yes! Yes. I want one of those. It's called a lazy spa. It was like £200 and it's really easy to set up, and you have a hot 40 degrees bubbling bath of hot water anywhere. Uh, it's amazing. I don't know if this question's rude, but you mentioned being terminal. Is there a chance that you'll come out on the other side of this? No, this is me out on the other side of it, basically. Okay. 
like everyone's like oh are you in the clear or but there yeah. isn't really like it's much more complicated like if you had one cancer cell it's like could I have a scan that will show me if I have like one cancer cell A there isn't and B if there was what would you do about it like you wouldn't have like chemo to get rid of one cancer cell you wouldn't mm -hmm. do anything so in a way it's such a mysterious disease because it is you can't separate yourself from the disease because it's your genetic coding is the disease mm. cancer is who you are at a really profound and that's why as why what we we're saying about not wanting to fight it because as we were saying like the notion of like fighting your own genes your own genetic makeup is just way too exhausting but no i'm not going to i'm never will be without cancer i mean i could go for a scan and there could be complete remission as in nothing showing on that pet scan but that's the effect of good drugs that knock it back mm. it'll grow again i see okay thank you for answering my question in the meantime you're creating incredible circus do you sometimes think that because women have a fight with equality and there are other people in our society who also uh, fight do you think we're sometimes better at going there are going to be obstacles there are going to be lemons my default position is making lemonade do you think that's something you've experienced in your life that you know how to turn bad stuff into good stuff well you learn don't you and like i did spend quite a lot of time turning bad stuff into worse stuff <laughs> but i kind of can't do that anymore because i'm enjoying myself too much to make bad stuff anymore and i and also my children like i don't want them to have the bad stuff that i had and my mum being really ill and everything getting really rubbish at home although they've already actually been through that but i kind of want to make it good for them like make it right for them but i'm having too much fun to go into the whole self-destruct mode that i've been in before so much so i mean <laughs> women are really tough we shoulder a lot and i think that we have a kind of really nuanced approach to business and team building that's about kind of building families that in yeah i think i'm really good at my job yeah funny can you tell us if we would like to go and see Gifford Circus, where we can do that? So you can come and see Gifford Circus, best circus in the world next summer. You can see it from the Cotswolds to London and back. But it's Wonderful. not Gifford Circus. It's like there online with dates, but it's basically in the Cotswolds. The I Cots think it's so cool. Yeah, give the, 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 the Cotswolds is the Cotswolds is stunning. So you know, take a weekend out. I mean, definitely come and see it. It's an amazing circus. It's got. People jumping on, like doing somersaults from horse to horse, cantering around in a circle. It's got a five-piece amazing band. It's got incredible humour. Like the director I work with, it's like it has to be people banging their heads on the seats with laughter and like falling off that. And it really is. Like we always say, like the best sound in the world is people laughing and screaming at the same time. And there's an act in that where people laugh and scream for like seven minutes continuously. Wow. You did two shows today before you came here, right? Are you, you're still performing in it? Yeah, did two shows this morning and three tomorrow. Wow. Wow. I woke up at noon and ate tater tots. Yeah. <laughs> We're leading different lives. Yeah. 
I feel like you've been through a lot and you've built a lot and you've loved a lot and you've created a lot and you live with such a, a wonderful philosophy. Do you have any advice for life, for us, or anybody? No a, pressure. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be good advice. That's clear. Do you have anything that you'd like to share with us that you think, you know, this is what you should know? Never pick a fight. That is one of my pieces of advice that I read in a book. And that's helped me so much in the circus world. I think I'm a bit evangelical about the not drinking thing because I just feel like I wasted so much of my time with hangovers. And then I took that away. And it's like this kind of explosion of color in my head somehow. It's like, don't waste time. Yeah, I think that's my advice is just not to kind of waste time. Time is precious. And I think when you get a diagnosis, you suddenly realize how precious it is. But none of us know how long we've got left. And so we need to be using the time that we have to make the world a kinder, richer, fairer, more compassionate place and a more magical place. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's what I just think about the circus. It is so amazing because people come... I'm not very good at talking about politics because I just find the whole kind of division. It's like if we were in the circus and we had... We shouldn't be dividing ourselves. Like, that's what I love about the circus is that the most politically polarised people, it is incredibly diverse. And it's almost like... I mean, you could say the circus is a kind of little social experiment of, like, let's tour these Ossetian warrior patriarchal mountain men we're going to mix them up with like east end theater students we're going to mix them up with like cuban dance like it's so diverse and you've got so many immediate barriers which is culture religion language there's like 18 different languages on the circus this season wow but all those people they come together so let's i just feel like don't divide mm-hmm. yeah that's what i think so, so Come together, don't waste time, drink less. They're your big three. If you did those things for the next year... Don't pick a fight. Don't pick a fight. Don't pick a fight. Depends what the fight is. Feminism is a bit of a fight. Don't go picking small... I think we get so worked up on picking small fights that don't mean anything or don't matter and we waste time. And that's generally because we've had too many drinks. So... Why'd you look at me? It all comes back round, is what I'm saying. Abigailia, yes. is there anything you have to plug? I'm going on tour in the fall with my show, Do You Know Who I Think I Am? And uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm nine. And uh, yeah, I'd love uh, for you guys to come. Uh, obviously, I, I did it in London. I'll probably do it again in London. Uh, also, follow me. My social is just at Abigailia. So if you can spell it, you can find me. Uh, go and see Gifford Circus if you can. Next year, it's touring back around the UK. Nell, you are a true inspiration, and what you're doing is absolutely incredible. And thank you for making our world a little more magical and more hopeful. Nell, give thank it everybody. You. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co host Abigail Shabar, and our very special guest, Nell Gifford. Recording engineer was Grundy the Zipper. Music was by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Selitsky for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Amy and Luke and Phil Mack and everyone at Underbelly Festival, as well as all of you, for listening. More information about this and other episodes was at guiltyfeminist.com. Thank you so much, you guys. You've been wonderful. I've been Deborah Francis-White. We've been The Guilty Feminist. That's our show. Good night. Thank you. Thank you.
how cool my mom could be. She, I took her to the Edinburgh Fringe once for f- the first time. So I was like, what, 23? This is like 10 years ago? Yep. And uh, so I took her. Yeah, I was nine. <laughs> and uh, I was nine years old. And, uh, you know, I took her to all these burlesque shows. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so edgy. And, like, at that time, I was, like, aggressively talking about sex on stage. And uh, I was like, I'm so edgy. And she came to all my shows. And she's like, yes, Abigail, I know, uh, you know, you, you get very excited about all, all, of, all of this edgy stuff and all this sex stuff. And, you know, you haven't done anything that I haven't already done. Oh! <laughs> wow! You won for Vicky Kramer. Did your mom do her own your mom joke? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like she your mom is that, That's such a meta your mom. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here. I'm announcing our final big speeches of the year 2019. We are coming to Brighton to the Marlborough Theatre on Sunday the 17th of November. We'd love to see some Brighton Guilty Feminists there. You've made the trip to London, now we're coming to you. Please go to the website www.guiltyfeminist.com forward slash big speeches to book your place. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com